Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Wow. Hello and welcome to the Abroad in Japan podcast, probably the best way of learning about life in Japan without actually being in Japan. I'm your host, Chris Broad, and we're joined, as always, by England's top Japan enthusiast, Mr. Pete Donaldson himself. Pete, how are you doing <laughs> this fine Wednesday? Um, I'm doing pretty well, uh, to be honest, Chris. I've just noticed uh, um, we, we do this uh, on video now, and we're loving seeing each other's little faces. You've got a lovely little YouTuber's uh, bedroom, and I'm in a dirty old office, and um <laughs> But but we get little bits of information about each other's um, setup, and I have noticed that I have one terabyte of data free on my hard drive storage uh, solution, and you, however, have six hundred gigabytes. So you are running pretty low, mate. You can tell it you're a video editor. I, I fear for your data management solutions. <laughs> this is this is what it's been reduced to. You yeah. trying to one up me on data storage, Pete. How low? <laughs> well, look, how low will it go? I can't go anywhere, can I? I can't do anything. I can't go anywhere. It's all very upsetting. <laughs> it's a low blow. A low blow. Even by your standards, Mr. Donaldson. Yeah. I mm. have just got back from Hokkaido. Uh, it's been so. It's been such a weird week. I was really excited. So last time, before I left this podcast last Sunday, I talked about going to mm. Hokkaido. My plan was to reach the most extreme northern point in all of Japan, Cape Sawyer, as it's known. Yeah. And I made it. Good news. Got back in one piece, just about. But we made it there. <laughs> Took four days through blizzards and whatnot. But so much <laughs> stuff went wrong. Like on the first day, we tried to film in Hakodate uh, fish mm. market right really nice fish market um but because of the whole coronavirus situation it was empty there's no overseas tourists right and right. it me and my friend pete who went on this road trip were the only ones there it was really <laughs> awkward every single shop the staff outside like begging us they're like clinging to buy something. To us. yeah like, they were, like <laughs> holding our arms and like yeah this way this way and we're like no we don't need any salmon not this time in the morning and they were like it was really like Sad. I felt it was like a war zone situation. It was Aww. quite depressing. And then we went to, uh, and then we went to our. There's an abandoned town, an abandoned town in Hokkaido. It got destroyed mm. by a volcano. Right? They call it the Pompeii of Japan. And I've Ooh. always wanted to go there. And we got there, and uh, it was just gone under like three meters of snow. So imagine if Pompeii <laughs> just buried by three meters of snow. So I couldn't see it. And I found a little tourist guide man, and he was like. Yeah, you can't see it in winter. Come back in summer. And I was like, bugger. <laughs> and then 
We got to our hotel after five hours of relentless driving through the snow, walked mm. into the hotel, and it was like this uh, kind of, um, it was a bit like a hostel, I guess. And it had like a really nice Italian style, sorry, a Chinese style restaurant on the ground floor. Mm. And then the second floor was this sort of dormitory that uh, Pete and I had booked out. And uh, we went in the restaurant, and the, I think the chef, really nice chef guy who runs the place, he was there cooking. And I said, hello, we've got a reservation. He went, no, you don't. And then just turned his back on us. And we're like, oh, we just traveled for five hours. I'm going to kill someone. We've got, a, we've definitely got a reservation. He's like, nah, no, you don't. I just kind of carried on like oh, frying. Oh, no, did you actually have a reservation? Did you, did we you, did have a reservation. No, we right. had to, it took me like 20 minutes of like getting my booking.com details out. I'm like, no, we definitely have a reservation. Look at this. <laughs> Look at it. And he was like, oh, yeah, you do have a reservation. And like, it's, oh, God, everything just went wrong on that first day. Um, <laughs> well, oh, awful. no, that's terrible. It sounds like a lot of those problems could have been solved, every last one of them, with um, maybe a flamethrower. Because you could have melted the melted the ice, melted the snow, and also attacked a man for being belligerent. <laughs> Absolutely, I yeah. don't know how flamethrower would have gone down in Hakodate Morning no. Market. Maybe it could have been a, an interesting way to cook some seafood. But uh, that video will be out in uh, I think three or four weeks. And also, I ran right. out of fuel for the first time in my entire life. Fourteen years of driving, I ran out of fuel in the mountains of Hokkaido, and it was the oh, most man. humiliating crappiest experience of the last eight years and i felt like so such sorry. a mug <laughs> it was such a mug i was so bad honestly i uh i dropped off pete at the end of the journey we went back to chitose airport and i dropped mm. pete off the airport so he could fly back to tokyo and i was yeah. going to drive five hours south to hakodate and uh take back the renting the car we rented mm. and i was in such a hurry uh, to leave Chitose the next morning. So I dropped him off the night before, like in the night, stayed over one night and then drove in the morning. And I thought, you know what? I'm going to take the mountain route, the really remote, beautiful, stunning route that's an hour longer, just because I've always wanted to. And mm. for some stupid reason, I didn't check to fill up the car with loads of fuel. And I got about one hour into the mountains in the most remote, scariest place ever, where there's probably bears at every turn. And the car was like, ding, 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 you've got 10 kilometers of fuel left. And I was like, what? Oh, no. And <laughs> I had a, a wave of dread that I've not felt in a very long time come over me. Like, you know, that feeling of anxiety when you know you're absolutely fucked and there's nothing mm. you can do. I was like, oh, oh, God. And the only lucky thing that had happened, though, was in the middle of nowhere, amongst the mountains, there was a group of like four or five construction workers like building a bridge like you do. Nice. Yeah. <laughs> and I like pulled over with 10 kilometers of fuel. And I went up to this man who was one of those, uh, glow stick waving people, you know, they wave. Oh, like yes. cars. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I was yeah, like, yeah, I literally was like, help. I've run out of fuel and I don't know what to do. And he was like, Oh, Oh, gambate. And I was like, not gambate. Give me some petrol. Give me some fuel. Help me out here. He wouldn't have the same fuel, would he? The stuff for his generators and stuff. Or... They, I think they did. I think they might have done, right. but they didn't, they didn't have enough to help me. But gambate. what they did do is I'd I driven <laughs> up a mountain. Goodwill. Yeah, gambate. Oh, that's, that's the Thanks, least. Mate. I hate the word gambate. Every time you're in a, a life or death situation, it's just like, well, good yeah. luck with that. Have fun. You can Bye. do it. Yeah. <laughs> what, what does gam- what's the difference between gambate and gambare? So gambate means to do your best, right? To do your best. Right. But it can yeah. kind of be used in a sort of good luck way. Like gambate, mm. you know, good luck. Right. But it means to do <laughs> one's best. And I always right. find it a little bit uh, patronising. But, you know, it means good luck and it can be a good way. But, like, it, it came off as condescending and kind of, well, good luck with that. 
And I was like, come yeah. on, help me. I'm a fresh-faced foreigner from the sea, from the shores of the UK. Help me out here. <laughs> and the only thing you could do is tell me that like eight kilometers down the road, there was a little uh, construction worker lodging area where they had like right. uh, a telephone and some equipment. And I, another point, my phone had no data at this point. Like my phone, there was no signal because we were in the middle of the mountains, 50 kilometers right. from here. And I looked at my Google Maps thing uh, and it took like 20 minutes to load up a Google Maps image, right? And it was like, yeah. the nearest gasoline stand is 20 kilometers away. And I was like, motherfucker. Anyway, <laughs> I managed to put the car into neutral and roll down this hill. Uh, That's a good idea. With a few kilometers to spare. And I sort of trundled into the car park with the construction workers. They were like digging some snow out of, out of a hill. And mm. uh, I was like, hello, I, I'm screwed. Where, can you tell me where we are? <laughs> I, I need to, I, I don't know what to do. And they like laughed and they like gave me a cigarette. Which which helped and uh, it was <laughs> so ridiculous. Did you, did you break your cigarette fast? I and did. You just smoked a tab. It made next everything to a, next better. To a, next to a pet, next to a big petrol can they're giving you. <laughs> it made everything better. Uh, the only way it could have been better is if they had like some uh, gin tonic in a flask. Yeah. Um, but like they, I was like, "Where are we?" And they were like, "We don't know either." But but like because <laughs> it was so remote, it's like the road that nobody yeah. ever goes down in the middle of Hokkaido and. Uh, uh, eventually they kind of helped me work out my position. I was able to use the phone to like ring up the equivalent of the AA, like the, right. the driver's association, yeah. JAF, they call them Japan, something federation, <laughs> automobile federation, <laughs> JAF. And they came out after about an hour and a half and some guy who'd driven like for an hour to get to me yeah. with a can of 10, 10 liters of fuel. And he was like, <laughs> here you go. Here you go. And he pulled that in my tank and I was good to go for, 50 kilometers which got me to oh, the petrol station but seriously nuts. terrifying and i was lucky i met those <clears throat> construction workers i think because mm. i i don't know what i'd have done i'd had to have got out of the car and walked to somewhere i guess and um, what was um terrifying. what was pete doing at this point well i dropped him off at the airport the night before right oh, so i was on my own right, okay. oh, if he'd no. been there i could have eaten him and like eaten cannibalized him. <laughs> him and you know lived in the mountains Mel- but... melted his bones down for exactly oil. exactly yeah. But oh, I'm sorry you had such a such a successful trip to Hokkaido. <laughs> it was I'm going to go and look ridiculous. at Russia. <laughs> yeah, and I didn't even see it. After all that thousand kilometer journey, I didn't see Russia. But we got to the most northern yeah. point. And it's, I'll tell you what, it is insane up there. Because you get mm. to the sort of the last hour stretch of Japan's most northern point of Hokkaido. The sea right. starts to turn to ice. There's like icebergs and things. And the coast, mm. the water just gets frozen. Um, which is something you never see down uh, further south in Japan. Like it really did feel mm. like edge of the world level stuff. It was really quite yeah. cool and um, it was sod all <laughs> up there. Nothing, nothing of conceivable value, but uh, <laughs> it was kind of anticlimactic. You get there, you get out of the car and you go, oh, here, it's good, isn't it? Take a photo, <laughs> got like blown over by some wind and that was yeah. it. Did you not even get like a keychain or anything like that? Um, my friend Pete got a mug and that was it, a celebratory you mug. You know. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Should have filled it with fucking petrol. Um, <laughs> How dare you? How I'm dare so you? sorry you had such a terrible time. But um, and also, like on top of that, of course, you experienced what can only be described as a weird ten year old aftershock. <laughs> God, yeah. I mean, flipping heck. And just uh, as my luck was starting to turn around, so the same day that I'd run out of fuel, right there, mm. I was. I turned up in Hakodate. I was like, well, I made it in one piece. Thank you, God. And then, and then like five hours later, the worst earthquake I've ever experienced. 
knocked over like the entire hotel. I was like 12 stories up in this hotel, right? And the whole thing was shaking. And with an earthquake, right, things shake, right? You'll hear like this rattling sound. It'll sound like this. Mm. Yeah. It's it's pretty uncomfortable and pretty terrifying. Mm. But in a hotel at that height, in a built skyscraper at that height, what you you don't really get that you get more like a, a swaying feeling you start to feel dizzy yeah. and i yeah. thought oh maybe that's the strong zero that i've drunk to get over <laughs> the stress of the car incident i thought oh, maybe the strong zero is kicking in but it wasn't the strong zero it was a, a 15 story building shaking from side to side for about a minute in a never-ending mm. earthquake and a minute is a lifetime during an earthquake right it just usually an earthquake most of the ones that I've encountered are magnitude five, four or five, whatever. And they'll last, you know, 20 seconds. You'll be like, oh, that's mm. scary. And you'll hear like, like the window will rattle and you'll be like, oh, that's, yeah. that's... But this one, it it had that. The first 20 seconds, you're like, oh, it'll be stopping in a minute. And they just didn't stop. And it's like, oh, crap. Oh, God. Oh, dear. Mm. And it just gets worse and worse. And the shaking and the swaying gets worse. And I, looked, I, I was like, oh, crap, I don't know what to do now. And like, I, I remember I got out of bed and like threw on my clothes. And I was like, should I, should I, how do I leave the building? And uh, there, was a, there was a lift. Take the lift. I was like, yeah, I was like, Take I could get lift. in the lift. Yeah. Probably shouldn't. So I didn't get in the lift. Uh, no, and there was an emergency, emergency stairwell. And mm. I remember going down the corridor of the hotel and a few doors had opened. <laughs> I remember walking past the door and there was a woman standing at the door. Just looking terrified, and she sort of saw me walk past, and was even more terrified to see this intimidating British guy running past with a balaclava going out to the stairwell. But uh, I was the only one to get to the stairwell, which was rather odd. Maybe the hotel was kind of empty because it was not yeah. exactly holiday what, season. Aren't you but, sort of supposed to be t- like? Aren't you just supposed to stand in a doorway? Like, I mean, it, it, escaping yeah, yeah, is yeah. probably more dangerous than actually staying I, where you are. I was a bit silly, maybe. I did stand in the doorway at first, but it went on so long. I was like, "This hotel's mm. coming down, and I don't want to be in it when it does." So, like, you do start to panic. I, I want it to and, land on me instead. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> you, yeah, exactly. To be honest, you're not supposed to go outside buildings because things can fall off and smash, mm. and that's a lot more dangerous. But I did, I did start making for the the corridor and the stairwell when the earthquake was coming to an end. Um, I no. thought. As it was coming to an end, maybe I should get out and, you know, maybe they're going to ring the fire alarm. Maybe something's going to happen. And I got in the stairwell and I went down 12 stories and then I got to the, the first floor, right, to escape and the door was locked. I couldn't get out. And I was like, well, if it was, if it was a fire or a real proper super earthquake, it'd be, <laughs> this would be the end of the abroad Japan saga. Me just dying on the first floor of a fire escape stairwell, unable to get out through the locked door. That'll be yeah. game over. But uh, so <laughs> in the end, I... I had to like, I went back up a few stories and I had to get in the lift to the ground floor and I went down there and nothing was happening. There was like one person on their phone. The receptionist was pointing to a guy with a ladder who presumably was going to fix something that had fallen down. But for the most part, <laughs> it was it was it. And I was like, oh, can't have been that bad then. And then my phone lit up with messages from everyone I've ever met in Japan ever. Uh, like, mm. oh my God, do you feel that? Do you hear Oh my God, Chris. I was like, well, mm. what's going on? And it turned out the earthquake in question uh, it was actually just off the coast of Sendai. And by a weird twist of fate, it was about the closest point in Japan that it was to was where the last video I released about the street market with Ryotaro. Mm. That was like the closest point to it. It was like 40 mm. kilometers uh, mm. due east from there. Uh, magnitude, I think, 7.2 earthquake mm. uh, and an aftershock. Sorry, 7.1. And uh, they say it was an, uh, an aftershock of the, the, the magnitude 9 earthquake that happened in 2011. 
um, which is quite daunting. That's insane. That sort of blows my mind that it happened in exactly the same place. It's obviously an aftershock from the one that happened te- nearly 10 years ago. To, I think three, three weeks' time, it's going to be the 10th anniversary or something. Incredible. Yeah, yeah. It's a really Amazing. bad twist of fate. That, well, a strange mm. twist of fate that, you know, 10-year ten, anniversary, a big event, yeah. and then something like this happens. And if you see the videos, yeah. and there's quite a few videos, I retweeted a couple, the damage was considerable. And uh, a lot of – I don't know if many people – I don't think anyone died necessarily. There were no, 100 think, casualties last time I checked. Right. But, um, there's some really nasty look, videos. There's one guy in a bath, and the bath is, like, swaying from side <laughs> to side. Um, but there's other yeah. ones where entire people's shelves are coming down. And I yeah. was worried that my apartment would be destroyed when I got back to it. But it was fine, actually. Nothing was out of place. Mm. A few things have fallen off the shelf. Riotero wasn't so lucky. His uh, his favourite clock fell off the shelf and broke. Oh, <laughs> Stopped no. exactly and that's the real the time crime. Is the real crime. But now his, his <laughs> clock is forever immortalised at, at seven minutes past 11 when, when it fell to the ground and shattered. Um, <laughs> but yeah, it's, wow. a, it's a strong reminder that earthquakes are scary. Well, that mm. one certainly and, was. And, but, uh, and Hokkaido hates you. <laughs> and Hokkaido hates me. Like, yeah. It's crazy that the earthquake was that powerful, even up in Hakodate, you know, a few hundred mm. kilometres north of it. Uh, and clearly yeah. it was bad in Tokyo because I've never had so many people message me about an earthquake. So, yeah, it's daunting. Um, but don't do what I did. Don't go for a lift. Don't go for the stairwell. Go under the bed. Go in the doorway. <laughs> get some chicken. And uh, wait it out. That's what you've got to take was away there, from was, it. Was there any of you, like, close friends who... Who got in bother? They weren't affected by it. Where were they at the time? I think so. One problem was the bullet train stopped, right? So actually, you, right. I don't. I think it might be. Re, I think it should be reopened now. But the bullet train between Sendai and Tokyo was, was switched off. Mm. Um, I make it sound like a, a railway turn train off. set. I just t- turn it off at all. <laughs> but they have to stop it, right, to to check that uh, that the old. Uh, the old trains are still, the train lines are okay. Um, but uh, my friend Norm, Tokyo Lens, who have, of course has been on this podcast, he uh, went up to visit Shala in Morioka and uh, he was going to go up by train, but he couldn't. He had, to, <laughs> he had to rent a car and drive it. And that was like an eight hour drive. It's incredible. It takes I think two and a half hours to get to Morioka from Tokyo by bullet train, or it takes an eight hour drive. It's crazy. <laughs> Japan feels a lot bigger <laughs> when the bullet trains don't work. They yeah, certainly do. I bet. Yeah. I, I can see why they exist now. Crazy. <laughs> uh, yeah. Loady. Hopefully you won't have to endure anything quite like that, Pete. What's well, that? I'd love the opportunity, mate, to be honest. I mean, everybody wants to, right? But you've, you've been to the Kobe, the Kobe Earthquake Museum where you can yeah, have a yeah, simulation. Yeah, I kind of fell out of love with uh, experiencing an earthquake after that, to be honest. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> exactly. Oh. But uh, yeah, not overly fun. And uh, hopefully it won't bloody happen again. Touch wood. Um mm certainly in the run-up to the 10th anniversary of March Indeed. 2011. But now, story of the week. We've got a story this week from Andrew. Uh, and it's a story about, I don't know what it's about. What is it? So hello, Chris and Pete. <laughs> have a read. Have okay. a read. My name is Andrew, and I'm from Arizona. I have a story of a weird encounter I had while in Tokyo on my study abroad. I was visiting Tokyo from where I was studying in a small village in Fukuoka. Um I came to meet a friend who was coming to visit Japan, but his plane ended up being a bit late. So uh, out of boredom at the hotel, I decided I needed to go out and explore and uh, check out the surroundings around my hotel. Deeply missing Mexican food, I figured being in Tokyo was going to be my best opportunity to find my beloved sustenance. I set out post-haste, and after following Google to my nearest place, uh, nearest Mexican restaurant, I arrived around the corner 
at a good Mexican restaurant. I was the only one inside, and I was quickly seated. Using what little Japanese I knew, I ordered some tacos. Good man. Uh, The gentleman was totally bewildered, and he told me to hang on just a minute. I went back to the kitchen without taking my order. I thought maybe I'd somehow butchered ordering tacos. I waited for a few minutes, and he came back to the table. He crouched down and looked like he was going to write down my order when he asked, you live here in Japan, don't you? To which I replied, yes, I uh, currently live in Fukuoka. He again got up and went out to the kitchen without taking my order. Several minutes later, he came back, crouched down again, as if he were about to take my order. And then he asked, (laughs) what do you think of Japanese women? God, (laughs) I was totally confused by the question. It was a large leap in conversation from you Mm. live here uh, to do you like Japanese women, especially with the large amount of time in between the questions. I turned, uh, I decided to humor him anyhow. He was a younger guy. And I thought maybe he just had an interest in creating some casual conversation with a foreigner who spoke some Japanese. After I replied, (laughs) I like Japanese women, he then got back up and went to the kitchen again. Uh, This continued for at least uh, another 20 minutes where he would ask a few questions, then retreat to the kitchen for a few minutes, come backwards and forwards. Mm, The questions became increasingly more pointed, like, what kind of Japanese women do you like? And what hair length do you like? As if he were creating a Mexican food piece of art shaped like my ideal Japanese woman. <laughs> Good God. Uh, after many trips backwards and forwards, he finally took my order and promptly brought out, promptly brought out, this is 20 minutes later, he promptly brought out my tacos. <laughs> to my disappointment, they were not shaped like my ideal woman. Uh, they were just tacos. Maybe my Japanese was worse than I thought. <laughs> the questions stopped after my tacos came out. The weird back and forth conversation amounted to nothing. I waited a few minutes after having my meal and nothing, but the bill came. Uh, I paid my tab, thanked them for the food, then left. Have either of you ever had an encounter like this one? Maybe it was an odd, maybe it wasn't as odd as I think it was. Anyway, thank yeah. you for the podcast, guys. Keep up the good work. Andrew, what do you make Amazing. of that? Amazing. Like it, I think that's how the census is uh, completed in Japan. Uh, you go to a Mexican restaurant <laughs> and a man asks you about your life, about what you like, what you don't like. That's market research, uh, but it's done by <laughs> Mexican restaurant uh, employees. Yeah, very, very market strange. Research. It did sound like he was going to make like a beautiful, um, you know, taco corn-based woman. <laughs> <laughs> taco corn-faced woman. Yeah, exactly. I, I I don't think I've ever experienced anything like this. I think what <laughs> happened is pretty obvious, though. Like, there was someone in the kitchen who was a woman who oh. probably saw Andrew go in and was like, oh, he's attractive. And the staff he's was like, something. yeah, like they're probably like bit of, having a bit of a laugh. And he was like, you know what, I'll go and chat him up, see what he's like, see if he, you know, fits your criteria. Um, <laughs> something like that. And that is what went down. And then clearly, unfortunately, the woman was like, nah. Could have been a guy I as well, think. you know. Could have been anyone. Well, like exactly. Yeah. Well, I mean, I guess maybe I think the um, server, uh, the the waiter came out and did that, and and he was going back into the kitchen, uh, mm. and he had like a little, like he had a wig, and he was going to like <laughs> dress up as his perfect Japanese woman, uh, but he dropped his wig in the mince, so he couldn't use it. <laughs> he dropped no, his wig. I'm, I'm, he dropped in his wig the in the mince. mince. I'm, I'm just speculating. I don't know. I mean, what do you think, guys? <laughs> what do you think has happened in this situation? I, uh, we, you should tell us where this place is, this Mexican restaurant in uh, Tokyo, Andrew. Maybe we can uh, go and do some research, <laughs> follow it up. Um, but there, there you go. It feels like yeah. the beginning of a romance that could have happened, but sadly or, did not. Or a, or a terrible murder. He's, <laughs> put in, he's putting women in the food. Oh, <laughs> 
Oh, no. God. Like Soylent Green at a Tokyo Mexican <laughs> restaurant. Dear, oh, dear. Well, we talked about the earthquake that hit uh, a few days ago and how awful it was, but there's been another earthquake of the political kind, a political earthquake uh, involving the Olympics and the uh, ramblings of a rather silly man, uh, J- former Japanese Prime Minister Yoshiro Mori, uh, who yeah. went from being a political asset uh, given he was the kind of the overseer of the Tokyo Olympic Games, went from being a, this key figure to being a liability, threatening the already cloudy outlook for the summer games. I don't know if you've heard about this, Pete. It was actually reported in the global media. Uh, mm, do you know anything huge. about this, what I'm talking about? Yeah, huge. I mean, I, I think it, um, advertisers are pulling out um, uh, certain, uh, I think athletes have, have expressed a, a lack of interest in, in, in getting involved with the games. I mean, it's just, it, it, I think the biggest surprise, and, and certainly I follow a few um, Japanese sports journalists or people who are based in Japan, um, and the big surprise is that it's not that big a surprise. You know what I mean? <laughs> like the, the, like the, the, the most harrowing thing is that it's not, uncommon for this kind of sentiment to be expressed in parliament mm. even or or, or uh, you know head of a body of such a big important um you know uh, far-reaching organization it's mm. it's it's a real shame uh, but i hope that uh, the global exposure um will will change a lot of minds and change a lot of attitudes in 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 all parts in all walks of uh, japanese society absolutely and for those of you that don't know what we're have kind of missed this news story. Um, quite a lot of you guys have also been messaging me about this to, to talk about it. Um, mm. So a few weeks ago, um, council members of the Olympic Committee, uh, sort of the Tokyo Olympic Committee, were discussing the issue of why women are not equally represented on the boards of sports associations and committees. And uh, Mori-san, Yoshiro Mori, this very powerful figure, you know, overseeing the Olympics, mm. uh, and a former prime minister, he chimed in and said, a board we a board... <laughs> A board meeting where many women attend takes time because women talk long uh, because it comes from their competitive nature. He then continued, there are about seven women in the Tokyo Organising Committee of the Olympic and Paralympic Games, but they all know their place. And that is exactly what you don't say (laughs) when your already rocky Olympics is limping on. The final nail in the coffin, piss off every woman ever. And just anyone who's not from 1925. I mean, what the hell? Why would you do that? Why would you say that? It later turned out, though, that this guy, I mean, I, I don't know the ins and outs of all these Japanese politicians. He's clearly a big figure, but he used to do, he had a lot of like a history of doing silly things, uh, like political mm. gaffes during his career. Like, I think he was prime minister from 2001 to 2005, and he just right. kept doing stupid things then. It's, just, it's such a common story, though, it's that gaff it was like. Machine. It's a gaff, gaff machine. It's just so common that there's a politician in Japan, like a guy who's like 85 or 82, who says something that he should have just not said, like just keep to himself. But like, you got to think, like, what, what is he saying? Yeah, what, what's he saying in, in private? You know what I mean? If he thinks that is acceptable to say on a public stage, like, wow. I mean, what's he, what kind of opinions does he keep to himself? That's the thing, isn't it? Jesus. I, think, I know, right? And when, when they called him out on it, he... He was. He apologized not for what he said, but for making people upset or something. Like he did it in a right. sort of. I'm awkward, sorry, you're upset. Yeah, right. it was kind of disingenuous, and that made it worse. And uh, yeah. you know, I it got it, it got do. really bad. The, the governor of Tokyo, uh, Mayor Koike, she decided not to turn up to the meeting, a uh, really important meeting last week, and that was, I think, mm. pretty much the end of the sh- end of the road for him. You know, that uh, one of the most key figures was like, no, I'm not going then. Fuck him. If he's going <laughs> to, I might talk too long, might I, Maury San? I might yeah. go on a bit. Ridiculous. What was he on about? But uh, yeah, no, he, he's such a muppet. Like in 2003, 
Uh, he made headlines for declaring it strange that women who don't have children say, please take care of us with taxes. Eventually, uh, you know, effectively saying that if, if you don't have kids, why should you have benefits like welfare benefits mm. or, you know, yeah. have the backing of the state? Um, it's just done things like that quite a lot, mm. which is never good. Mm. There you go. Nonsense. Utter nonsense. There you go. But I, he's being replaced by one of his mates, I think. So probably happen again. Business <laughs> as usual. <laughs> but yeah, Japan is ranked 121st out of 153 countries in the World Economic Forum's 2020 gender gap report. And it does mm. continue to be a big problem. Like, you, whenever you look at a photo of all the politicians in Japan doing something, it's a sea of like 80 year old men or 50, 60 year old men. And there's like scarcely a woman to be seen. I've actually met, I think, one of a handful of Japanese female politicians, um, Kato Ayako, who represents the area I used to live in, in, in Shonai. Um, she's really nice, really awesome woman. Mm. Um, but uh, yeah, Japan needs to sort that out big time. Yeah. Because this is something that Agreed. keeps happening. Um, but there you go. Um, now, before we dive into the fax machine, it's time for a quick ad break. If you thought the only way to get a more defined jawline with natural-looking results was through surgery, think again. Juvederm Volux XC is a non-surgical injectable gel filler that improves moderate to severe loss of jawline definition and can help you achieve natural-looking results with little downtime. Even better, this improved definition lasts up to one year with optimal treatment. No maintenance required. Improve jawline definition for a smooth, sculpted look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at bowlandbranch.com code buttery exclusions apply see site for details hold up what was that boring no flavor that was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week kiki palmer here and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free hello fresh jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. now that's music to my mouth hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. 
Stakhanov's brand new show, My Seven Wonders, with Clive Anderson, is available to listen to now. Clive will be quizzing some of the world's most interesting celebrities, including Griff Rhys Jones and Shappy Sandy, about their own personal Seven Wonders of the World. Join Clive and his first guest, Dara O'Brien. Dara talks to Clive about his love for the Irish sport hurling and some of the extra benefits that come with owning a hurley stick. It's just pleasant to have a big stick in the house every so often. For home security, it's always nice to know that I have an arsenal uh, if I need it. I'll bear that in mind if I'm tempted to burgle your house in the middle of the night. Just do it. Honestly, that's how I stand. I stand <laughs> naked with my Irish testicles dangling, <laughs> challenging people. They discuss finding humour in quantum physics. It's like saying, is the cat dead or not? Would you, somebody just open the box? Would somebody just open the box? <laughs> And discovering new passions during lockdown. Lockdown ran a schism, essentially, between the young comics who immediately went, I must learn new skills. I must learn video editing of TikTok. And I must find new ways to bring my comedy to people. And the older comics went, yeah, retirement. It'll be all right, actually. <laughs> the guy. <laughs> Turns out, you know, it's, okay. it's not too bad. Search My Seven Wonders with Clive Anderson on your favourite podcast player to hear the first episode now. Hope you enjoy those ads. <laughs> and now to the fax machine. What have we got this week in the fax machine, Mr. Donaldson? Oh, we've got a fax machine. Fax from uh, Arcadius. Arcadius, maybe. Um, hello, Pete and Chris. I'm writing to you to share a story that was written in a Minanoni Hongo 2 textbook that came up during my last class. This story uh, nicely ties in with your recent reaction to, uh, trend because it tells you about a foreigner living in Japan that did something utterly unheard of. Even thinking about that makes me laugh and beats all that has been done by foreigners in Japan ever. <laughs> to not keep you in the dark for too long, this story is about uh, Megiru-san, who uh, attended a funeral to, uh, to his, uh, of his boss's mother. It was his first funeral in Japan. And he didn't know the customs. When he saw a lot of people lined up neatly with their heads down and hands together at mouth level, <laughs> he thought that they must be <laughs> eating something. And when it was his time to pay respects by the altar, he took a pinch of what was in the box standing in front of the picture of the deceased box's mother and put it in his mouth because he thought it was the appropriate thing to do. Yes, he ate her ashes and thought it tasted bad. Question to you both. What was the wildest thing you came across in Japanese textbooks? Uh, topping this act of necro cannibalism uh, is almost impossible, but knowing Japan, I may be wrong. Um, also on the next page, there was a story about a guy who thought that Genkan in Onsen is a dressing room and got undressed there before entering. They really must think uh, foreigners are barbarians. Do they? Well, they clearly do, it seems. But yeah, this guy, there's a picture of this guy, a little drawing of this guy um, munching, the, <laughs> munching the bones. Oh, my God. <laughs> Very enjoyable. He's got lovely hair. I mean, that. Well, who wrote that? Seriously, I mean, yeah. Minnanoni Hongo is like one of the most popular textbooks for learning Japanese. I can't stand it. It's it's written to be really dull and boring. And I must admit, this is actually made me want to read it now. Um, <laughs> it's a great little illustration of a guy like munching the bones while everyone, all these Japanese folks, are like praying in the background. You've got this like dumb foreigner with curly hair munching on a sea of bones. It's just like that, nobody would do that. Why do you think? People are why would you be at your boss's? Why would you be at your boss's mum's funeral? What, <laughs> what could it have possibly been, though? What could it have possibly been? Ground down ashes. What food would know. that look like? Cocaine. Cocaine. <laughs> I don't know. That's it. I don't know. 
What would it look like? The ALT bends down to do a line of cocaine at the funeral. <laughs> Fucking hell, honestly, ridiculous. But that is hilarious. I'm gonna, I'm gonna get that. But I'm gonna go through Minanoni Hongo and have a look through that. Um, but yeah. uh, there you go, folks. If you want to study Japanese, that's the textbook to go for. And it's uh, <laughs> hello, Chris and Pete. Got one from uh, Tiara. Uh, Tiara. Uh, hi, Chris and Pete. My name's Tiara, and I live in Dallas, Texas. I'm always on the language exchange app Hello Talk, and I came across this guy's post that he is in a band. I couldn't believe what I read, but his band name is Abnormal. Oh God, Abnormal Cooking School. Uh, big fan of the channel <laughs> and Pete's universal remote voice. Keep up the good work. Fun fact: I changed my phone to Japanese to help studying. Uh, sincerely, uh, Tierra. It's a good move. I put my phone in Japanese when I first got here. Now it's in English. It's just very stressful putting it in another language. Abnormal <laughs> cooking school for a band name. Yeah, I did actually look it up. I remember when I was when I got this question earlier, uh, and I was putting it into our little document. I did look up the band and. It's a, actually not that bad. Like, uh, <laughs> if you want to discover a new band, I think they're kind of like punk rock, punk rock band. Um, right, okay. There was nothing. Right. There was nothing that I saw in their music that would would explain the night the name of Normal Cooking School as a band name. <laughs> um, it's just a, a couple of guys like bashing out some some punk rock music. But uh, yeah. remember, we had it's we had some good. crazy band names a few months back, didn't we? Can you remember yeah, off the top I, of your head? I, I really can't, to be honest. <laughs> it was like salad bar and things like that. I can't remember. It was like, I don't know. I don't know why they come from, these names, but yeah. they never cease to amaze me. Got one from Monica. <laughs> Over to you, Pete. We do have one from uh, Monica. Hello to Monica. Hi, Chris and Pete. I went to Japan with my ex before the pandemic and wanted to share with you an unusually loud comment we got on the bus, especially unusual as I know that Japanese are not stereotypically prone to bothering strangers and making a scene. Myself, five foot 11, and my ex, over six uh, foot, uh, not inches, six foot, uh, got on a bus in Tokyo uh, only to hear an old Japanese man loudly say, Takai! Ajigao matai! <laughs> uh, I'm not in Japanese, so I'm pretty sure I got the meaning. Takai means tall, doesn't it? Or big, yeah, yeah, big yeah. or long. Isn't it? Yeah. Um, but it, it, I won't write it here, as I'd like to hear your translation. Uh, this gentleman's uh, presumably uh, wife looked pretty pissed off and avoided my eyes for the rest of the journey. Looking forward to your translation and comments. I found this uh, very funny. As the older gentleman uh, clearly meant no harm, and it's a precious memory of my trip. All of this, Monica. Uh, so, <laughs> so Takai Ashigama Tai. What does Ashigama Tai mean? Ashigama Tai means I can see your legs effectively oh, right. see your legs i can see your legs oh interesting <laughs> i mean this does happen quite a lot um <laughs> like i i no, actually sorry it means i want to see your legs oh i that's, want to see your legs that's, that's rather uh, rather odd um oh well, there you go yeah I that's that's rather very tall weird. i want to see your legs um, I it does happen quite a lot though. Like I remember, my friend got insulted once. A girl, we got on like a, I think we got on a bus, and mm. someone on the bus muttered under their breath, "Oh, cow chichine," which means, "Oh, she's got a small face." And I think you know they were just expecting her not to hear it, but she heard it and she like scowled at them. <laughs> you know this. Uh, I think it was, a, it was another girl that said it. He must have been in her mid twenties to her other friend who was in her twenties. Oh, cow, small China. face, small face. <laughs> and, uh, maybe the maybe the old man was trying to um, ascertain whether or not um, the girl Monica was um, two um, toddlers in a big long trench coat. That's why she <laughs> he wanted to see her legs. 
You want to make sure. That is definitely what happened, Pete. Definitely. (laughs) (laughs) We got one here from James. Hey there, Chris and Pete. My name's James from Alabama in the US. At the time of writing this message, I've just found out less than 10 minutes ago that I've been offered an interview for the JET program. program. I'm excited and nervous about this interview because I'm one step closer to getting my opportunity to go back to Japan. Chris, being a JET alumni yourself, could you please share your interview experience along with any tips to ace it. Many thanks, James. Uh, many thanks, James. <laughs> I, uh, <laughs> many thanks, James. Many thanks, James. I remember my interview as clear as day because I was terrified as hell because I knew it was important. Um, just remember, the moment you go in the embassy or the place you're doing the interview, I think they're going to be evaluating you. Like, I remember I had an ex-Jet who was in there who talked to me for like 20 minutes before I went in for my interview. And I think secretly they were assessing me and trying to see if I was good at right. communicating and being normal. Um, and uh, then they gave me like a spelling test and I had to do some spelling, which is quite daunting. In, a, in an era of spell check and auto spell. Yeah. Writing with I, hands. I, I, I don't think many um, British people would be able to um, pass I know, that right? test, to be honest. I know I wouldn't without some real thought. I remember, I remember staring down at the paper and thinking, I've blown it. This is it. I'm done for. <laughs> uh, but then I went in and there was like a, a Japanese guy, must about 50, and a, I think a British woman who is probably in her 30s. And mm. they, yeah, they're, they're very nice. All they do is they look over your application and they pick out things and they get you to talk about them. And, you know, mm. I've talked about this before, how I, the only thing on that piece of paper that was interesting was that I wrote about Wabi Sabi, the art of, the Buddhist <laughs> oh, art yes. of impermanence. And you know, mm. I, struggled to define what it was but uh i don't yeah i don't remember the interview that much i remember being on edge and being like really overly happy and annoying because mm. they want uh, what i learned about the jet program beforehand was that they want people who are genki and fun so i was trying to be like really happy and fun and over the top i was like hello how are you doing yeah <laughs> i probably came <laughs> off as condescending patronizing and scary um <laughs> but nevertheless it it worked so i think your application form uh, it will do most of the work for you that you've handed in already. So I know. Mm. I mean, you you didn't have much luck, Pete. Uh, no, no, reasons. I didn't. I, in, in fact, somebody messaged me um, who doesn't want to be mentioned on the, on, uh, on the podcast, but mm. um, they they wanted to know, you know, if I've got any tips for getting through. I think she, I think she called it the Epic Program, but I, I, I don't know whether that's that's a Korean really one. Different. Is that a Korean one? That's right, Korean. Okay. Yeah. Um, so yeah, maybe some uh, miswires there, but either way, I did not do very well on getting on the Jet program. It was the year I think it was the year after like, all of the Nova programs were uh, were cancelled for some reason. I can't remember. Uh, I think the whole thing just went to just, shit. Yeah, <clears throat> just dropping that in there because they all went from Nova to Jet, didn't they? Ruin your chances. <laughs> on the same way that I only got on the Jet program because about four people probably applied for it. In 2012, because of the bloody earthquake and nuclear disaster. Oh, yes, of so course, yeah. you got screwed because a, t- a big teaching company imploded, which saturated the jet program, and I benefited uh, from a nuclear disaster. Yeah. Yeah. got one last one from... Gumbags. <laughs> and good luck to you, James. Best of luck uh, in the interview. Let us know how you get on. And in fact, it will be interesting to hear how the interview went. If you are like an experienced teacher, you have to like do a lesson plan or something in some of the interviews, and you have to... And if you have written that you speak Japanese, they'll test you on your Japanese. So bear that mm. in mind. Whatever you've put on your CV or your application form, they'll pick that apart and pull you and call you out on it. So be careful what you've right. uh, uh, written out on it. And uh, you know, I play learn, the learn. grand piano, and they wheel in a big grand piano. <laughs> <laughs> 
exactly it's it's that it's that bad so yeah bear that in mind (laughs) best of luck james have a good one got one last one from soren from denmark he says hi chris and pete i'm sitting at my pc playing some games and listening to one of the latest episodes when i hear pete tell about his attempts at the at the trumpet euphonium and guitar um (laughs) for for those of you missed a few weeks ago pete revealed he was going to be the greatest musician who ever lived and then his mum laughed at Mm. him when he played a guitar And his dreams Very died there so, and then. Yeah. And now that, he's just that's a what happened. podcast man. That's it. It could have been yeah. so much more. Tragic. Tragic. <laughs> but Soren says, Pete, I'm a professional brass teacher. If you find yourself an instrument to play, uh, and I can help you choose one if you'd like, I'll yeah. give you a couple of free lessons over Zoom. Let me know. Best wishes, Soren <laughs> from Denmark. There you go, Pete. You can take, kick, back off, kick it back off from where you ended it all. Yeah, I mean, my partner is very uh, aware that I'm quite a lot louder than she is when she's recording stuff. So I think me busting out, um, you know, a bit, a bit of uh, Solomio on the trumpet, I, I, I think would be un, unwelcome at best. Quite frankly, bit of Louis Armstrong, probably. <laughs> I would, I would pay good money to hear you bash out a Louis Armstrong song. That'd be amazing. Yeah. Oh, man. <laughs> Keep the stories, questions, comments coming in to Abroad in Japan podcast at gmail.com. Next week on, uh, well, Sunday, uh, we're celebrating the three year anniversary of the Abroad in Japan podcast. We've been going three long years, uh, 200 oh, no. episodes under our belt almost. <laughs> um, so next week, we'll be reading out stories from travelers who came to Japan. Um, awkward, disastrous experiences traveling in Japan. Um, something we haven't done in a while, one of my favourite type of episodes. So Definitely. if you've got a story travelling around Japan, something that happened, let us know. Send it into the uh, fax machine and, uh, well, it's going to be a lot of fun. But for now, guys, enjoy what's left of your week and we'll see you on Sunday to do it all over again on the Born Japan podcast. Have a good one. This was a Stakhanov production and part of the ACAST Creative Network. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Mm.